0: an Elite Eight. Not not all of the teams that were expected, but hey, we're here, in Elite Eight. Yeah, we have one, and it,
1: I really didn't expect quite a few of these teams to be here, so it just goes to show how awesome March Madness is, because nobody thought St. Peter's would be here. North Carolina, that was, you know, maybe took a long shot on them. Same deal with Miami. It's just such a surprising
0: time of year,
1: and that's what makes it so special.
0: Yeah, certainly, like North Carolina, you could see the route, like, banged up Baylor. Uh, then, obviously, like, UCLA, who that's, – that's a tough win. I mean, that's there, but certainly didn't expect them to be facing uh, the Peacocks of St. Peter's. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess we can start right there with St. Peter's. Just an incredible win over uh, Purdue, 67-64. It was kind of like a. It, it was played at the style St. Peter's needed to play at to uh, win that game. They kind of made it a low-scoring, low-tempo type of game. They took Jade Nighty out of the game. Uh, Zach Eady was, I thought he was at points kind of Non-factor. unplayable. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, incredible performance by St. Peters.
1: No, it was, and the thing about it is, Purdue didn't shoot the ball well, Jaden Ivey had a really bad game, he turned the ball over six times, he went four for 12 from the field with nine points, he made that clutch three late, but the entire offense was Travion Williams or nothing, he was the only one to get anything going in this game, Mason Gillis had the terrible foul late, but they just made big plays when they had to, St. Peter's did, and Uh, They defended, they played tough. This was the kind of game St. Peter's has to play to win uh, against teams like Purdue. They're they not going to outscore Purdue. Like I'm still shocked they beat Kentucky the way they did because they scored 85 points. They've done that once this year and it is against uh, non-D1. So the way they were able to win today is more the style of what St. Peter's basketball is. But I think this is by far, I don't even think it's close the most surprising and the best Cinderella story of all time. Cause they're the first 15 15C to make the elite eight. And this is a team that really nobody expected to beat Kentucky. They were 19 and a half point underdogs to Kentucky, eight point underdogs, Murray state. They were 12 and a half point underdogs to Purdue. Like the, they were huge underdogs in every single game they played to this point. They're eight point underdogs against North Carolina.
0: Like they've defeated all odds to get to this point. And it's really crazy. Yeah, certainly. And like, This is a St. Piers team that, I mean, you mentioned the Kentucky game. I mean, that was in itself just a complete shock. And then, like, they play Murray State. It's like, all right, well, Murray State has played teams like St. Piers all year long, uh, kind of at that level. And St. Piers just plays their game. Uh, Murray State has a terrible game. And then they do the same exact thing to uh, Purdue team. And look for Purdue. I mean, this is – This is a very tough pill to swallow because, like, the, for Mm -hmm. once, the bracket really kind of breaks their way. And, like, they were – like, they get the 14-seed Yale. They don't – they get Texas. I mean, they survived kind of a rock fight there. But you get the 15 – That game should have been a lot closer than it was. Yeah. But – You get the 15-seed St. Peter's. It's like you need – for one, you need to win this game. And, look, if they win this game – they get matched up with a North Carolina team that they already beat. I know it was early in the year. I don't. I know North Carolina wasn't clicking, but that Purdue was flat out a better team when they played previously. And I, I you know, reckon to say like the pr- same thing probably would happen if they played. And for Purdue to kind of miss out on an opportunity here to get to the Final Four with arguably their most talented team, uh, like in a long time. I mean. That, that's got to really sting for
1: Purdue. Yeah, and you look at what they have potentially leaving. Jaden Ivey's gone. He's a top-10 pick. I don't know if today's game really affects his stock, but I think at worst, he's a top-10 pick. Trayvon Williams, let's see if he comes back. He could be a super senior COVID-year guy. Stefanovic could be. Eric Hunter could be. But these are a lot of guys. Like, Let's say all of those guys are gone. That's a lot of production you're losing. Like, Based on what they have yeah. returning – And this is a team that didn't add anybody from the transfer portal last year. And typically, they're not a big transfer portal school. Like, they added uh, Jihad Proctor from High Point a number of years ago, but like, they don't, they're not a big transfer portal team. Like, besides Proctor, I'm not sure if they added in 2020, 2021. I don't think they added anybody from the portal. Yeah, they didn't. So, they're not a big transfer portal school, but they're probably going to have to hit the portal because you're looking at a lineup of Zach Eady. He's going to be, really good again i'm sure mason gillis isaiah thompson ethan morton caleb first like that doesn't on paper based on what it is right now look like a top eight team in the big 10
0: yeah like and look i mean it's kind of way too early but to kind of speculate on what next year is going to look like because i mean we still probably have like 600 700 800 names still but they
1: won't be this good they won't be
0: this good regardless of what happens almost guaranteed yeah like this is a this is a window kind of closing uh situation for Purdue because like you're not going to have like Purdue's still going to be around they're still going to make ncaa tournaments but like how how much more how many more times are you going to have like a superstar in jane ivy look he didn't play well in this game He's still a superstar. Like he's uh, at worst, I think going to end up being a top four pick in this year's draft. He's a star. Like you're probably not going to ha- have that player in your, uh, on your team for a long while. You're not going to have like Zach Eadie and Tr- Trayvon Williams. Maybe you have E. D for another couple of years, but yeah, for Purdue to kind of miss an opportunity here, you know, not necessarily to win a championship, but at least get to the final four. Like if, if, Purdue gets to the Final Four, breaks that kind of like Final Four, uh, you know, Final Four list streak, you're feeling like even if you lose, let's say you play Duke in the uh, Final Four and you lose by 20, you're still like, all right, this is a successful season, we made the Final Four, we broke that. But now you you kind of leave with a season that's kind of like filled with disappointments because I know they get to number one, but they didn't win the Big Ten regular season title. They didn't win the Big Ten tournament title. Now they lose in the Sweet 16 to a St. Peter's team. I mean, this this is going to be one of the more disappointing seasons in Purdue history.
1: Yeah, let's look at another game here. Gonzaga falls as a number one overall seed to Arkansas, the fourth seed. I want to get your thoughts on the game first. What were your takeaways from what Arkansas did? But after that, I think you know where I'm headed after you talk, but I'll let you start.
0: Yeah. I mean, Arkansas played the perfect game. Like they kind of the game plan we've seen with how to beat Gonzaga this year is you got to, you know, stop Timmy inside, make him have, you know, a tough game. And look, he still scored 25 Drew Timmy's that good of a player, but he did rather kind of inefficiently. And he had to kind of earn his points uh, and, you know, didn't have a fantastic game uh, by you know, his standards, Chet Holmgren, I mean, we can talk about the refereeing, the foul trouble a little bit later into this, but I mean, yeah, and then obviously they weren't going to let Andrew Demhard beat them, and they were kind of like, all right, we'll let receiver Bolton, we'll let Julian Strother, we'll let uh, the freshmen who come off the bench kind of shoot, and uh, that game plan kind of worked. They ended up getting up on top, and then I thought what Arkansas did really well is kind of, they were up by, like, six or eight kind of throughout there and each time they were like we're going to kill 25 seconds and then we're going to just have Jaden note and look he took a lot of shots he missed a lot of shots but he created a lot of shots just late in the clock uh to you know whether it be like getting open or you know getting a shot up and getting like an offensive rebound or getting a shot up or making a pass or whatever like note created quite a bit of late clock situation offense and uh, Arkansas played the g- perfect game plan. I think if you play that game tomorrow, and Gonzaga shoots kind of like they normally do, Gonzaga's going to win that game. But that's that's the kind of beauty in March. Gonzaga didn't have their best offensive game. Andrew Nembhard probably had his worst uh, game of like certainly this season. And, yeah, I mean, I I, I have not watched every single Andrew Nembhard game, but. This has got to be one of his worst, especially worst of the season.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll start here. I have a few different areas I'm going to take this. I'm starting here, and you already kind of touched on it. Gonzaga did not lose this game because they were just completely overmatched by a physical Arkansas team. That's not what happened. Yeah. They lost because they couldn't shoot the three. They lost because Andrew Nemhard went one for two for 11 from the field. They lost because Julian Strather went one for five from three. They lost because Razier Bolton couldn't hit threes. Arkansas made it a point for Gonzaga to hit shots from the perimeter and they were content with Gonzaga taking those shots. Gonzaga didn't make those shots. That's why Gonzaga lost. If Gonzaga makes a few more of those and doesn't go five for 21 from three, we're having an entirely different conversation right now. Gonzaga, yeah. Hey, Arkansas yeah. won this game fair and square. No question about that. They deserve this win. But This does not mean Gonzaga is incapable of winning a national title, which I tweeted something saying they look, they've been to seven straight sweet 16s and people are like, ah, they're just never going to do it. I think that's insane. I really do is because they don't play tough teams in the WCC. Kentucky lost to a team from the Mac. Like Auburn lost to Miami who was a 10 seed, a, a nine seed, whatever they were. Uh, so you're losing to schools that you're supposed to beat if you're in the SEC. The Big Ten hasn't won a national title since 2000. I just don't get why we look at Gonzaga differently. As like, I I just don't get why they have a different a different uh, standards. They yeah they haven't won a title, but they're in the WCC. Maybe their standards should be different. Like if they're the like I just can't get behind the line of thinking of let's not make them the number one overall seed because they play in the WCC. They deserve the number one overall seed. They were the best team in the country this year. And even though they won't win the national title, they're still going to finish number one in Ken Palm again. They will. And that, that is what it is. I mean, Houston's number two in Ken Palm. Maybe if they win the national title, they pass them. Maybe. I don't think so still, but maybe. But Gonzaga is one of the most consistent programs in the country. And it, it's just crazy to me how much they get disrespected because they haven't been able to win a national title. It, it's just insane.
0: Yeah. Like I, I do think like part of it is especially playing in the WCC because like let's, let's call it like it is like a large segment of the people that end up watching college basketball don't actually like start watching it till January, February uh, into early March. And so you're seeing Gonzaga just kind of off the grid a little bit with the WCC, like they, they play St. Mary's twice. I mean, St. Mary's usually gives them a game. They gave them three really good games this year, but that's, that's kind of like a large part to do with it. I, I do think like what Gonzaga I think hopefully can get done is maybe get like somewhere in February, get like a – maybe even like schedule Houston twice, like get a really tough matchup against like another legitimate – like tile contender. And I get that's kind of hard with conference scheduling, but I think getting like one of those games and look, it probably should have happened back in 2021, but uh, Houston decided to play our lady of the lake. But I think that would do a large, you know, help it for Gonzaga. Cause I mean, they do kind of play a similar style in the WCC uh, that said, like it, Gonzaga has been the model of consistency. They've made, Seven Mm -hmm. straight Sweet 16s? I they're they're there's consistent. Seven. They're
1: the only team in the country to have done that. And yeah, it it, it's just look, they haven't won the big one. That's completely fair. I agree. The Big Ten hasn't won a big one in my lifetime. Like, I I'm I'm pretty young, but I'll be 20 here pretty soon for those of you that didn't know how old I was. The Big Ten hasn't won a national championship in my entire life. So like maybe we can just look at you know march madness is awesome but that doesn't mean that you know tearing down gonzaga is the way to go because i don't think that's it i I don't think tearing down gonzaga for losing in the sweet 16 or losing two of the last six national titles is the way to go because they're going to get one eventually they're going to keep recruiting at a high level they're going to keep getting players eventually they will win one but i mean did anybody think saint peter's like is the mac better than the wcc because saint peter's is in the elite eight no march is all about momentum Oregon State wasn't one of the best eight teams in college basketball last year. They won three games this year. Like the the, the MAC is better than the Big Ten. I mean, look, and I'm not even hating on the Big Ten. Like they're, it's one of the best conferences in the country every single year. No question. They didn't get a team to the Final Four last year, correct? Did they get one to the Elite Eight? Michigan. They got Michigan.
0: Yeah.
1: They didn't get one past the Sweet 16 this year. So I mean, just. I I think it's only fair to talk about these teams in the same way because it, it just I don't know it just it's tough for me to drag Gonzaga down because of how consistent they've been the amount of NBA talent they've put into the league like this is a legitimate program this isn't Gonzaga ten years ago this is Gonzaga right now and they're one running like a well oiled
0: machine right now yeah I here here's kind of the one concern I have for Gonzaga going forward. Did they miss an opportunity here? Because, like, these past two seasons... I think they did last year. Yeah, last year, I mean, they look, Baylor was a great team. Gonzaga was favored to win that game. And they got to the national championship game, and, like, they had all the talent in the world. This year, it was kind of a similar thing. Like, they, by all advanced metrics, they were supposed to win the national championship. Look, winning a national championship is hard, but... Gonzaga, I think, has had two teams back-to-back years as good as like they will ever have. And look, like the 2017 team against the 2021 team, I'd probably take the 2021 team to beat the 2017 Gonzaga team if they played the in-
1: last year's team.
0: Yeah, like I take. Okay, them yeah. to I, I kind of got confused on what year it was. Yeah. So I mean, they, there's always like team, like if you get into March, like. For example, like the two, like the ones and twos left are Kansas, Villanova, Duke. Like odds are one of those three teams is probably going to end up winning the national championship. They, they weren't necessarily the best team all season long. And look, I don't think Gonzaga needs to be the best team all season long to win a national championship. But since they've been the best team back-to-back seasons all season long, it's, you know, kind of a, you know, it, sucks for them that they've not been able to with back-to-back seasons being the best team in uh, Ken Palm or uh, Haslam metrics or whatever metric you want to throw out there. They've been number one in that all season mm-hmm. long, all season mm-hmm. long last year. And uh, for them not to have won a national championship, I think that is, you know, frustrating for them. They're still going to be oh, right-
1: like, you like, it's like the Purdue situation; it's tough, yeah. but there's a better future outlook for Gonzaga. Yeah. But here's kind of here kind of here's kind of my closing thoughts, I guess, on Gonzaga. Like it was a ter- like it was just a terrible way that game happened. I mean, but Arkansas played them; that is what it is. But when you look at it, kind of way too early into it, this team's going to be really good again next year if Drew Timmy comes back because you're yeah. getting Drew Timmy back potentially. I'm assuming Julian Strother is going to be back. Anton Watson, uh, they're in the mix for a top-10 recruit. uh, Anthony Black, I think he's announcing pretty soon he's a top-10 recruit. Uh, They're going to be in the transfer portal mix, I'm sure. And they have a bunch of other guys. And, like, they could add another transfer portal guard because that's what they've done a ton of in recent years. I think is going to be right back in this position next year, and will they win one? We'll see. But I actually did have this question for you. Do you think – because I've went back, back and forth in my head on this for years. Do you think the best team in a sport, not just college basketball in general, like we can just use the NFL as an example, like when the Patriots went 17-1, and one, but they were undefeated going into the Super Bowl. So were the Giants who barely got into the playoffs, were they the best team in football that year or was it the Patriots? Because this is how, kind of how I look at it. Like Gonzaga was the best team in college basketball last year. They probably were this year too. But the best team doesn't always win the championship, right? Like, I both yeah. those things can be true in my mind, right?
0: Yeah. Like, I, I do think, like, a, certainly I think this year they have a better argument to say best team in the sport. Because I, I do think, like, having the consensus clear number two team in the sport completely kind of wipe the floor with Gonzaga, like Baylor ended up doing that's last fair. year. Yeah, that's fair. Like this year's team, I think just has like, and it wasn't like Gonzaga was clear in a way, like the best team in the sport. Even like if you look at some of the metrics at the end of the day, but I mean, even this year, like, unless like let's say Kansas or Houston go out and that's what I was thinking, yeah, final three games by Mm -hmm. by like twenty points each, then you're like, all right, maybe. Maybe Gonzaga wasn't the best team, but, like, at the end of the day, like, I think history is going to look back and say, all right, Gonzaga was the best team in the sport that season, but, you know, March, March happens and uh, it ends up being Duke or Kansas or Villanova or Houston or whoever ends up winning the title. And they're going to be remembered as the national champions. Like, the best team doesn't always win. Like, you yeah. look at 20 yeah. 20- – Kentucky like 2019, I guess Virginia was probably the best team. Like 20 and 2016 Villanova was, yeah, 2015 Kentucky, like 2016 Villanova wasn't like they were two seed in the NCAA tournament. They end up winning it. Now they're, you know, regarded, but I mean, that's pretty like 2014, 2014. There wasn't really a best team in the sport. But UConn was certainly not it. So it, it no, just... like that. That's that year
1: UConn and Kentucky. What it was an eight against a nine seed. Like those two teams weren't the best in the country, but by the end of it, they were the best in the country at the time. Like that yeah. it's tough. To, I mean, it's tough either way you look at it. But I, I, I don't know. I just in my head, and like there isn't a right answer to this. It's debatable no matter how you look at it. I just kind of wanted to get another opinion on it because. Like, I see it like, obviously, the NCAA tournament, that's why you play the regular season. But if, for me, if you're basing who the best team in the country is based on what happens during those six games, then why do you play the regular season at all?
0: Yeah. Like, the regular season has to matter for something.
1: At the same point, like,
0: the NCAA tournament matters for something. So, it's...
1: Yeah, the NCAA tournament is everything, which is why I kind of look at it like, hey, maybe that is the best team, but I I think it's all circumstance-based. So, like last year, I think Gonzaga was the best team in the country the whole way through until Baylor beat them by 20. Then it was Baylor, and I think that's fair.
0: Yeah, like here's the thing, like if – and this is why March Madness is awesome, but if you're truly determining like the best way to – the best way to determine a, a champion of the way the NBA does it because the NBA always ends up with usually either the best or the healthiest team in the end mm-hmm. winning the yep. title. Cause like you play best of seven college basketball. It's one game. Like you, Gonzaga has mm-hmm. an off shooting night. Arkansas plays a perfect game plan. Arkansas ends up winning. No one, you know, leaves this game saying, All right, Arkansas was clearly a better team than Gonzaga. It was Arkansas was a better team than Gonzaga on this specific night with all the circumstances Mm -hmm. surrounding it. But I mean, if they play this, if they play a best two out of three series, I think Gonzaga wins that best two out of three series because I I kind of trust Gonzaga. Yeah.
1: And I'm all for the madness in March. Like, give me all the upsets, give me all the madness. Like, I, at the end of the day, as long as we have a fun tournament, it, it, I don't really, like, have a rooting interest. I just want good games. And that was a good game. The refs, you know, kind of took it over on both sides. There were some misses on both sides there. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't love it, but – Chet like, Chet's third and fourth uh,
0: fouls were abysmal. I thought uh, yeah, the fifth and, one was actually a foul, but the third and fourth ones.
1: I thought it was a fourth and fifth. Like, no t- – note kind of went into him like i get you probably have to call that but still like because that's not an offensive foul i guess like i, I don't know i almost think it's just a no call because chet went straight up but yeah like it just sucks that refereeing refereeing is an easy job like it's harder than anyone yeah. uh like any of us would imagine like we're not going to go like we would make terrible calls too there's no doubt about that it's not an easy job it's a tough job and well here's you know, here's the strategy
0: lot. don't they call play. anything
1: When in doubt, I mean, I I could tell you right now, put me out there and I would be the most hated referee of all time. Like I would be terrible. So I I definitely, you know, feel for the refs, but at at the end of the day, some of these missed calls and call block charges are tough, but uh, let's just hope they don't impact the rest of the games a whole lot.
0: Yeah. I I felt like the, the Gonzaga Arkansas game was kind of like a tough one for officiating. I feel like the rest of the, like, Sweet 16 games were pretty well Refereed so I I hope we get Rid of the Arkansas Gonzaga It it was so funny like CBS is like uh, Gene Steratore what do you think on This call yeah I think they missed This one here Uh, ref wasn't In position or yeah This is this not the right call it's like That that, You got to feel for Gene Steratore because He's like having to bash the referees On the national TV But I mean that's that's what happens. I mean, it's a tough business. And look, I, I do think like instant replay kind of hurts it a little bit because when you have instant replay, yeah. like you're able to right away. Like, we can see it at home. They have yeah. to figure it out right away. Yeah. But I, I think like the other seven of the eight uh, games from the Sweet 16 were really all well refereed. And I think as much as anything, we should compliment those refs on a good job refereeing because like the story of Mm -hmm. friday night's game is st peter's it's kansas it's north carolina it's miami you know who you know what has been silenced at least for uh today's games has been the refereeing and that's 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 a a good great point so yeah
1: like we don't like it, like people in general, including us, like we don't talk about the refs when they do a flawless job. I feel like it's yeah. always better when the refs don't get mentioned. It's like, like if you're a cornerback uh, for a football team, of course, and you don't get called for a pass interference, you're, you're like prime Darrell Revis and you're not getting thrown at your Nate doesn't get mentioned the entire game. And that's a good thing because you're not getting thrown at, you're not getting any PI calls. You're doing a good job. You're, you're avoiding making uh getting your name called and that's a good
0: thing i feel like yeah so uh commend the seven of the eight officiating crews for doing a good job so there we go duke they did a good job advanced surviving and advancing uh once again and look this is a texas tech defense that was for much of this game really kind of you know making duke struggle a little bit offensively and duke down the stretch, the, you know, freshmen take over, end up winning this game 78-73. And uh, Coach K, I mean, they're now, I think, the clear favorites, at least to make it to the national championship game.
1: I was super impressed by Duke, because if you told me Texas scored 73 points, I'm like, well, we're getting Texas Tech-Arkansas then. Uh, But no, I mean, Duke was able to score the basketball against the best defense in the country. Paulo played like the first overall pick. I don't think he will be, but he played the best of all the potential number one picks in this tournament. He took over when it mattered. He made a few clutch threes. He drove to the basket and made some clutch plays. Texas Tech had no answers for him, and it was just a balanced attack. He got 16 from Mark Williams. He got 12 from Wendell Moore, 15 from Jeremy Rose, who I didn't think was going to play a huge role in the tournament. But he has been awesome. Like, when they need a clutch bucket and it's not Paulo Bancaro, it's going to Jeremy Roach. And that's not something I saw happening, but it has been great to see. A.J. Griffin continues to be one of the best shooters in college basketball. And for Texas Tech, I always question their ceiling if T.J. Shannon didn't play great. And he didn't play great in this game. He had eight points because they don't have a point guard. Adonis Arms did a good job. He had seven assists, but he's not a point guard. They did not have a true point guard, and I think that's something that really mattered. If they had a true point guard and better shooting, I think this team could have won it all. But they were missing some key ingredients that it takes to win a national title. And they'll continue to be good in the future. But TJ Shannon did enter the portal after the game. So he, he's probably the top available transfer at this moment.
0: Yeah. Although I, I I think like Texas Tech, if they're able to like keep McCall or if they're I don't know if we'll ban has another year of eligibility.
1: O'Banner has another year. Arms doesn't. Williams doesn't. Warren doesn't. Santos Silva doesn't. Uh, So they're losing a lot. But McCuller... McCuller,
0: Nadolny. I mean, if you're able to keep... Macho,
1: Wilson.
0: They're going to grab like seven more transfers who are just going to come in and play Mm. tough-as-nails defense. But, yeah, I mean, Texas Tech, I mean, Mark Adams, I think, did a. Pretty good job, all things considered in this game, coaching wise. Like, I I'd say like Mark Adams out coached Coach K in this one, but the difference is Coach K has Paulo Bancaro, he has Jeremy Roach, he has uh, Mark Williams. Like, he has more talent, and that that ultimately is what you know end up weighing this game for Duke because like kind of late in that game, they were throwing it to kind of high post uh, Paulo Bancaro, and Paulo was just kind of like. Tr- drive in and he'd either like he had a couple like he had the obvious incredible pass lob dunk to mark williams which was oh that was awesome yeah awesome to watch he would like get inside and score or do something with the ball and then you obviously have jeremy roach who come in this tournament we're like all right jeremy roach like is he going to be good is he going to provide nothing He's
1: been. At, at, is he going to play any real minutes? Like, yeah. is he going to play fifteen minutes a game, or is he going to play twenty-five? Yeah. And I think if we were saying Jeremy Roach is playing twenty-five minutes, then I'm not sure how good Duke's going to be in the tournament.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, for one, Bates Joe Jones should not get another minute. He he single-handedly gave Texas Tech the lead going into the halftime. Uh, so that that's not great. But outside of them, I mean, Duke's seven-man rotation is very good like you bring in theo john who's tough off the bench you have trevor keels who was kind of non-existent in this game but he, like he didn't
1: really do anything like yeah he had like 30 in the champions classic and he played 14 minutes in this game like that's yeah. crazy
0: yeah i mean experience i guess wins in march and jeremy ronch has maybe more experience yeah that's what what that
1: it's interesting, but I think Duke is – we'll get into this later, but I think Duke has a really good chance to make some magic in Coach K's final ride. But Houston is the best team left in Ken Palm's rankings. They're number two. Technically, they're number one, I guess, of available teams, and they continue to just win. That's what Kelvin Sampson does. I think you own, I think owe him another apology, actually, while we're at it. Uh, because you didn't even think they're going to get past Illinois, and they have steamrolled every team they face in this tournament. This game wasn't even that close. Like, Arizona couldn't get anything going. Every time that the game was even remotely close, Kyler Edwards was hitting the three. Like, that's, yeah. that's what happened every single time. He was awesome in this game. Uh, Arizona couldn't get anything going. Dale and Terry had 17. Benedict Matherin had 15. Christian Coloco struggled a lot in this game. Kirk Creasa went one for seven from three. He was two for 17 in the NCAA tournament from three. They allowed a really good Arizona offense to less than one point per possession. But what does this apology sound like uh, to Kelvin Sampson's team again?
0: I I will have more on Houston later. Uh, you know, so I'll, 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 I'll skip the apologizing for now, but I, mean, this is an incredible performance from Houston because mm-hmm. like they went out and just simply put kicked Arizona, his butt. like the defense was just, incredible they were not letting like even Matherin like he ends up with 15 he had to work for every single point they had like th- he got absolutely nothing easy the only person who could really or really got anything going was ironically like Daylon Terry who's like supposed to be mm-hmm. your fifth best score if you're Arizona and Houston was like all right we're not gonna let uh Benick Matherin beat us we're not gonna let Coloco beat us and those two certainly didn't Tubelas had a terrible night. Like, he was terrible. Kirk Risa, let's call it like, I don't know if he's, like, he, he was not having this NCAA tournament. I don't know if, like, I think Arizona might have been better off if Kirk Carissa just stayed injured. Uh, like, he was not effective at all in this NCAA tournament. But at the same point, I mean, Houston, you know, played a very good Arizona team that went out and, won the Pac-12 by multiple games, won the Pac-12 tournament by beating a good UCLA team in the Pac-12 uh championship game and they went out and for 40 minutes uh were just simply a better team and uh mm-hmm. at this point I mean it's it's hard not to compliment what Kelvin Sampson has done cuz like he's turned this Houston program around. They have a program identity. They're not turning the ball over, which is I think especially key. I don't like at the end of the day, like, I don't, I can't picture Houston winning a national championship with like Kyler hey, Edwards. I
1: mean, hey, hey, if you're saying that, they might just do it because you had, yeah. you thought they're going to lose to Illinois. Like, we could roll back the tape. You said the spread could be Illinois minus four and a half and you take Illinois.
0: I did. I so thought
1: everybody was out on this Houston team to a certain degree, though. I'm not going to act like I had them going to the Elite Eight because I didn't. Like I I think I had them winning two games or no, I had them losing to Chattanooga around a 32. So clearly that didn't happen, but this team's just so like, they play the way Kelvin Sampson wants to play. Like there's not like the way Kelvin, Kelvin Sampson has a ton of athletes. He has guys that defend and Tajay Moore. He's like the most Kelvin Sampson player of all time because he defends, he plays so hard. He's super athletic. And he just makes winning plays. And that's what, if you're going to play for Kelvin Sampson, you have to make winning plays. And he has a team of guys that make winning plays like Jamal Shedd. Did you know who Jamal Shed was a
0: year ago? I, I like marginally heard of him because, like, because, yeah, he was on last year's team, right? So, I mean, yeah,
1: but he played like six minutes in the tournament. Like, I had never heard of Jamal Shedd until this year.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like, he, he, he was like someone coming into this year, you're like, I could be like a ninth man for Houston. He's like the starting point guard and going off in the, he led
1: them in scoring.
0: Yeah. He led them in scoring and assists in the game against
1: one seed Arizona. Like nobody, nobody thought Jamal shed was going to be what he is. Nobody, like once Marcus Sasser went down, you're like, man, it's going to be a tough year for Houston. They'll probably still make the tournament, but how far can they go? Well, they're one game from making the final four and they're favored to win that game. So hats off to Kelvin Sampson. I
0: mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Hats off to Kelvin Sampson. Hats off to Hubert Davis who got, got UCLA or uh, got North Carolina past UCLA. Caleb Love went off in this one. And uh, look, when Caleb Love's like one of these players, like when he is not having it, like he's a, can be a little bit of a tough player to have, on your team, he can shoot. You have a couple games, which we've seen this year, but man, when he is on, he is firing from all cylinders like he was in the second half here. I mean, this North Carolina team, I think can beat anyone, especially anyone left in this NCAA tournament. Uh, and he had a terrific game. Armando Baycock gets a big offensive rebound, kicks it to love. He hits the three, then he hits the three on the next possession. And uh, North Carolina is walking away, going back to the elite eight,
1: yeah, I mean, it's incredible. When this team lost to Pittsburgh, if you told me that they were going to the Elite Eight, I would have been stunned, but they probably have the best two guards on one team in the tournament right now with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. It just doesn't seem like they can get going at the same time, but hey, that's fine. I mean, Caleb Love at 29 and this one, R.J. Davis at 30 against Baylor. Caleb Love did nothing against Baylor. R.J. Davis, I have to pull up his stats, but I don't feel like he did anything spectacular today. It was all Caleb Love. And North Carolina was kind of just chucking up threes late in that game. And I was like, oh, man, this might not end well for them. But, hey, it worked out. Uh, Yeah, R.J. Davis had 12 points. That's fine. Like, it's not crazy, but it's reliable. He's your point guard. It was a pretty solid game. And Brady Manick didn't play great, but he had a couple timely shots. This was not a great game for North Carolina, though, from three. They went 10 for 31. That's okay. Most of it came from Caleb Love. And I think the fact that you're able to win this game only allowing 66 points to a pretty good UCLA offense, I think you'll take that if you're Hubert Davis. You move in and you go and play St. Peter's, who, hey, I mean, you're favored by eight points, but in that locker room, you probably don't feel like you're facing a 15 seed that you're eight points eight-point favorites then because they just beat Purdue they beat Murray State and they beat Kentucky so you're probably not feeling great if you're North Carolina but hey you're you're an eight seed facing a 15 seed in a matchup for the final four so
0: hey, North Carolina feels like they're one seed and uh St. Peter's is a seven seed that that's how North Carolina should attack this game they're, you're yeah hey, your favorite I mean, but not the end of the world if you lose I guess but Yeah, I mean, for North Carolina, I mean, to win this game, kind of playing UCLA's tempo, because UCLA did a really good job slowing North Carolina's, like, secondary break, because, like, the thing you always see with North Carolina is UCLA either makes or misses a shot, and the ball's uh, 10 yards down or 10 feet down the court and uh, in position to, you know, get North Carolina an easy look. And UCLA did a good job slowing the tempo. They really, I think, made North Carolina grind out possessions. And uh, they probably forced some shots, you know, to Caleb Love that, you you know, going into the game, if you're down 64-61 or you're up 64-61 and Caleb Love's taking a, you know, contested three-point jumper, if you're UCLA, you're probably, you know, feeling decently good about the game. But Love made that one. They made another uh slightly contested jumper and uh yeah I mean love was fantastic had the big plays uh down the stretch Baycott had the two really big uh rebounds because he had the offensive rebound to give it to Caleb Love again and then he had the offensive kind of put back to kind of ice the game away and yeah I mean for Hubert Davis to who like I think even like a month ago or uh, yeah a month ago was you know I think rightly being criticized for like is he like is he doing a good job with this team for a month later for the answer to be overwhelmingly yes he spoils coach K's final game in Cameron Indoor he uh, gets this team rolling in the NCAA tournament they knock off a one seat they knock off a reigning final four team they knock off the reigning national champions I mean what a job Pure mm-hmm. Davis has done, especially in the last month, getting his team uh, playing their best basketball. The lone remaining one seed in the tournament is Kansas,
1: but I am a little concerned about them for one reason. They're the favorites to win the tournament at this point. It was a close game against Providence. Providence made a pretty great comeback. Remy Martin had 23 points, led them in scoring for the third straight game. You know struggled for the third straight game? Ochai Abaji. 12 for 32 from the field in the tournament two for 12 from three at five points today. Kansas yeah. is not winning the national championship, in my mind, if Ochai Abaji continues to struggle. Remy Martin getting going is great. They need Ochai Abaji to play like Ochai Abaji to
0: win a national championship. Yeah. I, I think he's going to heat up here, because I, I remember back in, what was it, 2019, uh, the f- narrative for the first three games for Kyle Guy was – like he's struggling he can't make a shot and then like he goes kind of nuclear the last three games so i think like it i could see that being a similar situation with abaji as the kind of season goes forward uh and yeah i mean they they certainly need him to heat up for kansas to have a chance at winning the national championship but it's good that they're still able to beat i i would say good teams without abaji necessarily having the fantastic games. And look, Remy Martin was good. I thought Jalen Wilson was as good as anyone in this game. Uh, He had a couple good putbacks, was rebounding really hard. And yeah, Kansas, for them to not necessarily have their best offensive game and still walk away and get to the Elite eight, uh, this tournament's all about surviving and advancing. And uh, Kansas, they haven't played their best yet, but they've survived and they're on to the Elite eight.
1: Yeah, and they'll face Miami as a 10 seed heading into the Elite Eight, the first Elite Eight for the Hurricanes in their program's history. Isaiah Wong and Charlie Moore really didn't do much scoring-wise. I mean, they combined for 14, Charlie Moore had nine assists, though. But Cam Agusti, who I just found, like I just thought about this, and then I tweeted it, he wasn't, the year after, the year he got to college, literally the year before Buddy Heald had Oklahoma in the Final Four. That's how long Cam Augusti's been in college, and now he's one game for making a Final Four himself. He had a great game in this one. Uh, Jordan Miller and Sam Wardenberg did a good job. Iowa State, though, their season ends the way that their seasons kind of went the whole year, though. They just weren't able to shoot the three ball. They went four for 22, and that's the main reason they lost. They couldn't make a shot when it came down to it. They couldn't crack 60, and Miami cracked 70, and they were able to win there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing with Iowa State is they're like – their two wins were games Iowa State like has to play to win because when they played LSU, I mean LSU for one didn't have a head coach and like,
1: and they play a similar style.
0: Yeah, to, they uh, play ugly. Iowa they State. play low scoring. Every point is worth one and a half points compared to like a regular type of team you're pl- playing against. Like it, it was that, and then the same thing with Wisconsin who. I mean, it was let's just call it like it is. They were badly injured pro. Like I think Iowa State got a fortunate draw mm-hmm. as an 11 seed to get a you know coachless LSU team, to get a banged up Wisconsin team. But hey, you gotta play who you play. Iowa State played the teams there that were in front of them. They won those games. But at the end of the day, like I think this Miami team just has a little bit more scoring. Obviously, they did. I think are just a kind of overall better, better team and team, yeah. yeah. And they're onto the elite eight, and I wouldn't rule out them, uh, you know, potentially pulling we'll off. We'll get to nuts. that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, hey, Iowa State. I mean, if you told anybody, if you told Iowa State, if you told that anyone in that program that they were going to make the Sweet Sixteen and TJ Otzelberger's first year, I think they all would have taken it, no matter what it looks like. So the fact yeah. that they were able to not only make the tournament, win two games in the tournament, you have to
0: be encouraged about what the future looks like in Ames. Yeah. Like Otzelberger did an incredible job. And like Tyrese Hunter, I mean, anything can happen with the portal, but Tyrese Hunter's going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially as super Yeah. If he, like, if he can get a jumper going more consistently, like he's going to be uh, like, a he could be, First team All Big Twelve, maybe Big Twelve Player of the Year next year. Like, yeah, I mean they'll probably be back in the NCAA tournament uh, and near the top of the Big Twelve once again, or maybe they'll be like middle of yeah. the back. I don't know.
1: I mean they'll be a lot better than what they were projected to be this year. Part, yeah. You can't be worse than what they were projected to be this year.
0: Yeah. The the I just remember the funniest thing about, or the funniest like press conference is like Chris Beard. They play Iowa State, he was like, yeah, this is why I didn't pick them last in the conference, as they were unanimously picked last in the conference by the coaches. Like, what are we doing here?
1: I, I remember even us. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but before the year, we're like, we should we – should, uh, or there should be an MTE put together of the four worst high major teams, and I, I think we had Oregon State in there, so good call on us. I know I don't we had think we Iowa had State, State in there. State I, think we had in there. I thought we did. I well in hindsight then we did. I know we had Iowa State in there and I think we had Wake in there too. So those two didn't work out but uh hey Georgia Iowa State was in that might be the
0: who? Georgia and Minnesota.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, Georgia was oh that's right yeah. Georgia was definitely in there. That one was That one was pretty good. I mean, we got that one. But right. Iowa
0: State like we thought they might be the worst high major team in college basketball. So yeah. And for them to go from winning two games to winning two NCAA tournament games. What a turnaround. Villanova, though.
1: Oh, that's true. Yeah, that game, I'm going to be honest, I watched like three minutes of it.
0: Yeah, I did not watch a whole ton of it. It was like a kind of secondary- I was locked
1: into the Gonzaga game.
0: Yeah. I, I think I would have like tuned in a little bit more if Villanova, like like it felt like kind of watching the scoreboard, it was like, all right, Villanova's up by five. Oh, wait, now Villanova's up by eight. Oh, Michigan cut it to five again. Like, it never, like just watching kind of the score bug during the Gonzaga game, it's like, all right, Villanova's got this. So it's like, and look, they like Michigan, I guess they struggle a little bit shooting the ball. Uh, Caleb Houston did not make his uh, three threes. He only made one, so anyway, he makes one. 10 and they they're beatable. Yeah, ten
1: and zero when he makes three threes. I don't know if he's going to be back in college next year, but Michigan may never lose when Caleb Houston makes three threes. We can potentially retire that stat, put that one uh, as a great stat that you know never never got broken. So that's good to hear. But Hunter Dickinson didn't have a good game, and they really needed him to. He struggled big time. And if you're if Villanova shoots nine for 30 from three, you have to beat them. You have yeah. to find a way to do it. And Michigan just couldn't do it. Villanova made too many plays on the defensive end, and they didn't get enough from Hunter Dickinson. But Jermaine Samuels, going to that small ball lineup, uh, Jermaine Samuels really changed this game with what he was able to do against Hunter Dickinson.
0: Yeah. Like, it, it was kind of funny. Like, Dixon gets in foul trouble, and it's like, all right, well – just play Jermaine Samuels at the five and that will work. And look, it did like he had 22 in this game. I just think like when he's able to play at the five, like it essentially takes out any like traditional big man, which Dickinson is like it because Samuel's more athletic, like he's going to either have to guard him on the perimeter can knock down a shot in your face. And then if you do come out and guard him a little bit, then he's going to drive right past you. Cause he's just like quicker than, a traditional big man. is so uh, I thought he was really good in this game. Uh, you know, Justin Moore had a good game. Gillespie struggled a little bit, but maybe he's just saving it. Uh, he hit the, a big three down the stretch, but maybe saving it for, you know, the Houston game. He's probably going to need to have a good game to win that game.
1: Yeah, no question.
0: So any, any other thoughts though, from the results of this weekend?
1: No, I think that wraps it up for me. All
0: right. Um. So we've got, looks like we've got three of the four uh, spreads out. I don't see a St. Peter's, North Carolina spread out. I saw eight. Eight? We'll go with that. All right. So well, record update. Uh, You are 187 and 154 on the season. I am 184 and 157. I, I think I'm going to need to get some – I'm going to need a very good Elite Eight to have a chance going into the final weekend. So, you can wrap yeah, it up here. Yeah,
1: we'll see. you you love to see that. I'll say that.
0: Yeah. So, for first game here, though, it is Houston against Villanova, 609 Eastern on TBS. Houston, two-and-a-half point favorites here. You liking the Cougars?
1: I'm going, I'm going Villanova. It's hard to bet against Villanova. It's harder to bet against Houston. Oh man. I mean, it's tough because Houston's offensive rebounding could give a smaller Villanova team, a little bit of issues, but calling Gillespie and Justin Moore, the three point shooting, I'm going,
0: I'm going with Villanova, but it's tough. Right. I'm, I'm sick and tired of being burned with this Houston team. <laughs> they, they proved me wrong they proved me wrong again they keep proving me wrong uh, it, it the, the Houston you know can't beat anyone takes I have been putting out on the uh, into the atmosphere has been painfully denied every single uh, you know at every single turn the same city tournament so I'm done doubting Houston in fact I'm going to take them minus the two and a half here Ooh. get to the final four. Uh, and win it all. We, we can get to the final. We have to get to the final four first, but I'm done down in Houston. I'm going to take them minus two and a half. If they lose, then Houston fans, you, you'll have a new reason to get mad at me because it'll be because I am congratulating your team enough to pick you against the spread and maybe jinx you. So if they lose, then you I'm sorry, but i I'm Yeah you can you can blame me
1: too. I mean I'm going to
0: Villanova. Yeah. So I'm I'm done getting burned with this team. So I'll pick them minus two and a half. They'll probably Villanova will probably win this game, but yeah. That that's where I'm going. Next game solid
1: game. reasoning. I, I get it.
0: Yeah. Next game it is Arkansas against Duke. A 1994 National Championship rematch, uh, 849 Eastern on TBS. Duke is a four-point favorite here. I'm rolling with Duke. They, they just have more, I think, NBA talent. Arkansas is going to be a little bit worn out after playing basically the perfect game against Gonzaga. So I'll, I'll roll with Duke here. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas needed all of
1: those 15 points from Trey Wade. I don't think Trey Wade's scoring 15 points in this game. They're going to have some real trouble. You talk about the physicality of Arkansas. Duke's a pretty physical team. I mean, Paulo banquero is very physical. Mark Williams is very physical. I think that Arkansas doesn't have enough offensively. I mean, J.D. Notte might need to shoot a 39 times instead of 29 times in this one.
0: I've got Duke giving the four. I just think they're a much better team. Yeah. And, like, I think the thing is, like, you have kind of that matchup where, like, you have Bancaro can kind of like eat a little bit on uh, like whether it's Trey Wade, whether it's Humane like I, I think Bancaro can just kind of go off. And if like Arkansas is committed to stopping him, I think Bancaro is like good enough as a passer to kind of set up other teammates, which I mean, he did well in the Texas Tech game. So I'm rolling with Duke mm-hmm. here. Uh, Next game. Moving on to Sunday, 220 Eastern on CBS, Kansas. Six and a half point favorites going against Miami. Who's your pick here? Six and a half?
1: Man, it's a tough number. I'm going to go Miami to cover, and I think they have a chance to win. That guard plays tough. I mean, when you have three guys like Charlie Moore, Isaiah Wong, and Cam Auguste, you know what? I'm taking Miami to win. I'll take the I'll take the six and a half for purpose of this, but I think they win. I, I just feel like this team, the way they score the ball, it's really impressive. I think Kansas needs something from David McCormick here, though, because Sam Wardenberg's a good rim protector, but David McCormick could score on him, that's for sure. Will Remy Martin lead them in scoring again? I think that'd be big, but you need something from Ochai Abaji
0: in this one. I don't know if they're going to get it. He struggled lately. Give me Miami. Yeah, I'll take Kansas to win, but six and a half is like, just too many. Points. It's a lot of points. Yeah. Like, and like my, like Kansas could be winning this game for 40 minutes and Miami like can back door cover. Here. Like, yeah. Like of-
1: there it might be an eight point game with eight seconds left and Miami goes and gets a quick two and covers.
0: Yeah. Gotta get, always gotta get the quick two.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yep.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, I think Wardenberg could potentially stretch out the Kansas defense. Cause like, that's true. Yeah, that that's where I can see, like, if he's able to step up out on the perimeter and like McCormick, I don't think is going to get out to him very well. Like, I think that could be a situation where Miami gives him trouble. Like, I, I do think Abaji has a kind of rebound game in this one. And I think he leads Kansas in scoring and leads them to the final four. But I just think like six and a half is too many points.
1: I agree with you. Yeah. All
0: right. Is eight too many points here? Uh, five o five Eastern time on CBS. It is the St. Peter's Peacocks, Cinderella of all Cinderellas, going against North Carolina. You, you taking the Peacocks plus the points here? Take
1: them plus the points. I mean, I think the big key is Casey and Defoe staying out of foul trouble. Because if Rondo Bayka gets him in foul trouble, obviously there's other options like Clarence Rupert, and you can go to Fusini Drame. But you want to have your rim protector, Casey and Defoe, on the floor against Armando Baycock but St. Peter's really did not shoot the ball well in this one but they need their guards Matthew Lee and Daryl Banks and Doug Etter to be hitting shots from outside if they're going to continue their historic run I think it comes to an end here but I think they will be able to be
0: tough enough on the defensive end to keep it within eight I'm gonna I rolled with St. Peter's on Peacock Day which I did not realize was a holiday until today. I,
1: I still don't think it's a thing like I, I, don't, I don't know I, I've seen it I've read it But like you could totally tell me that someone made that up for today, since St. Peter's was playing in the Sweet Sixteen, and I totally believe you.
0: Yeah, like maybe it is a thing. I don't feel inclined enough to do the research, so I'll I'll just let.
1: I haven't even looked at it. Like it could be totally photoshopped, and I haven't looked it up, so I'm not really
0: sure. It could be like a real thing. At this point, probably is a real thing. Uh, just you can manipulate the Google searches just quick enough to make it an actual thing. But yeah, I'll take, I'll take on not national Peacock day. I'll take North Carolina to win and cover here. I just think like at some point St. Peter's has played like such perfect basketball, these three games. I think like the shots kind of like don't quite drop for them. And I think North Carolina has just kind of got the ability to you know run in transition get easy looks. I think North Carolina wins this game kind of running away. So We've got, we picked four games here. We've got two differing results. If, if you get those two differing results, right. It's over. The season's over. It's over. So that's game. Yeah. So I, I you need a quick, you need a quick to you to keep it close. Yeah, I do need a quick two. I I could ca- care less about Duke or Miami's spreads, but I, I need Houston. They they've been they've been a thorn in my side all season long, so they they need to come up clutch uh, in the clutch for me. So hey, maybe it happens. We'll see. Yeah, anything can happen. It's March, so. Uh, any last thoughts before we wrap up here?
1: No, that'll do it for me. You know, congrats to St. Peter's. That's awesome. As a mid-major guy, i love to see it. Let's see if they can capture a little more magic and maybe win a national title. I mean, they're two games away, three games away, so maybe they can do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, they they, they played three. Probably not, but maybe. They played three pretty tough games. Like, coming into the tournament, you're like, all right, they play uh, Kentucky is, like, I mean, coming into this, I had Kentucky probably as, my I need like, number two ranked team. Like, if you were asking me to rank the top 68 teams in this field, I would rank Kentucky number two. So they already beat my number two team coming into the tournament in the field. They beat Purdue, who has probably the – like, they held maybe the best offense in the sport, Purdue, to 64 points. Maybe not the best offense because they did not perform uh, – Went mattered most, but I mean, yeah. I mean, St. Pier's, I mean, they've done. They've worked miracles already. They beat the team with the winningest record of the season. So, hey, anything they can win three more games, they could. Hey, it's not impossible. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So that were up up though for me. uh, Thanks again for tuning in the podcast. Uh, we'll be back with final four like there there will be four just four teams left uh when uh the next time we pot so one of these eight teams we talked about uh well i guess half the teams we just talked about uh winning games they're going to be eliminated and we're going to be left with the lone four so uh, we'll be back to break that down uh but thanks again for tuning in the podcast